0: Welcome to the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, episode 221, Rightfully Good. Great board games for spooky season. I'm Sean, and here with me, the
1: Tabletop Bellhop, Mo. I am Mo Tuzno, the tabletop bellhop, your cardboard concierge, working with you to make your game nights better. We record
0: our podcast live on Twitch, Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern, and we would love to see you here in the lobby, our chat room on Twitch.
1: So it's mid-October, and everyone is getting into the holiday, Halloween holiday spirit around here. Uh, one of my girls has even done her costume early, which I thought was pretty impressive. I am so glad we're not dealing with that for both kids right now. Uh, we thought it'd be a good time to revisit the topic of great games for spooky season. Now, we're going to follow that up with a duo of totally unrelated reviews. I didn't manage to, kind of, you know, cram in reviews that fit. Sorry. Um, Though, I guess Castle Panic uh, can cause some panic and, and stress, so maybe that'll count, but we're going to look at the Castle Panic Big Box, second edition from Fireside Games, and I got something funky that I'm sure some people will probably debate isn't a game, but there is a puzzle to solve. That is the cryptex from our german friends at escape well we'll wrap up talking about some card games we played at the barbershop bar now that was a holiday halloween themed event i I can't say halloween today halloween is the holiday i guess well we talk about a lot of stuff on the show and you can find links to all of it in our show notes at tabletopbellhop.com
0: episode 221 links there are probably affiliate links which help support this show but cost you nothing Also, some products discussed tonight will be review copies
1: which were provided by publishers. So let's get going to a trip to the modified Suggestion Box. Welcome to this week's Suggestion Box. Here we share some of the comments and other interactions we've gotten on our content in the last couple of weeks. Now, after the feedback we got from the last episode, we decided to cut back on this section and stick to only sharing interactions with lead to new information, more game suggestions or things we thought that everyone should hear. Well, we enjoy and appreciate
0: all of the great job, fantastic review, and I like this one too's We realize
1: that you don't need to be hearing that from us every week. As for that kind of feedback and, well, the negative side of that, we will be saving those up for probably a special episode like we did last episode.
0: That'll probably be a once a year thing, but we'll see. Now, as for this week's feedback, Mike Robinson commented on our outsmarted review to say, I don't know about board game apps. It feels like the actual box and pieces are just unneeded you could just download a trivia app. See,
1: I, I can't disagree. Um, there are definitely aspects of Outsmarted that feel like I'm just playing a trivia app, but I do think having a board and pieces matters, and that's for setting the tone of your game night, for making it feel like something special. There's an overall change in tone and feel once you all sit down at the same table and put a board out in front of everyone, something for everyone to focus on other than just their screens. It feels like a board game night. And not just everyone sitting around on their tech, even if the tech happens to be all the same game. Just as an example of the different feel, at least I see this. Maybe it's only me. But if I sit down with the kids in Deanna and we go play Jackbox on my PlayStation, that feels like a completely different evening and family activity than if we all sit down at the kitchen table and play Outsmarted. I don't know. What do you think, Sean? Should Outsmarted just be an app, toss the board out and play on your phones or download a different trivia app? I mean, I think it could be an app. But perhaps intentionally, the actual digital
0: board and pawn portion of the app, as we did mention in our review, is lacking. So that portion would need a big improvement in usability in order to get rid of the board. I generally agree with Mo, though. While the remote functionality is nice these days, a physical (laughs) presence changes the mood. Mm -hmm. Well, now on our Boop unboxing, Mo asks what other cute games people own and recommend. Hopeful Traveler3543 replied with, The cutest game I have is Cat Crimes, a logical puzzle board game.
1: I've seen that one and I've been kind of curious to try it. This seemed like something that would be fantastic for younger kids. And by the time I learned about the game, I was a little worried mine were a little too old for it. Because I've heard that each puzzle in this is really quick to solve, like five to ten minutes each. And you can get through the box pretty quickly. I actually personally know a gamer who did them all in one sitting. While I think the premise is very cute, which is basically trying to figure out what cat knocked what off of the table. Um, I think it's a cool looking game. I like the premise. I just think it might be a little light for us, but I do think it is a cute game. Now, for those of you who aren't cat fans and the dog lovers out there, check out dog crimes. Well, next we've got a
0: cool one from sticky doodler based on our, how do you do fellow kids episode? They wrote, enjoyed this a lot. Luckily, I still have a new team though. Wrestling for time away from Valorant is a challenge. By the way, I can't help but share, but share this TTRPG now that you invoked the meme. It's a way for parents to get an answer to how's school.
1: Okay, this is a first. We've never gotten a comment that included a full role-playing game before. So thanks for that, Stinky do- Sticky Sorry, sticky Toodler. Um, I thought that was really cool. I'm like, we just got an RPG as a comment response. I had to tell everyone. Now, I did promise them I would share this on the show. So we're going to drop a link in the show notes. And it will, of course, um, be in our chat room right now. Now, I did check out this game. It's a a one-page. It's a simple one-page RPG. It's free. It's up on Itch.io. It's meant to be played between a parent and their kid. The kid plays an alien going to their school trying to fit in. And the parent is interviewing that student to determine if they are really a kid or something else. Now, the goal being for the parent to connect with the kid and learn more about their actual in-school experience In an environment, the kid will feel comfortable sharing that information on. I got to say, that's a cute concept and a great game Um, for at least Sean's perspective of our episode on kids games, which was games to play with your kids. So I thought that was a, a great recommendation.
0: Well, there you have some useful feedback we got over the last couple of weeks. Keep them coming. While we may not be sharing as much on the show, we still greatly appreciate any and all feedback and interaction. Before we get to our main segment tonight, just a reminder that you can expect some interruptions to our schedule in the coming weeks, as it seems we're already neck deep in the holiday sale season.
1: Yeah, Dan and I weren't expecting the biggest sale we've ever seen to hit Amazon last week. Um, It was supposed to be a two-day only Prime Day sale that actually turned into a week-long sale that just wrapped up that led into a buy one get one 50% off sale which I'm sure is going to lead to something else next week. So this is a general heads
0: up that we are going to do our best to record as regularly as possible, but this is the season of last minute cancellations due to unexpected workload increases.
1: Uh, Plus we're getting into flu season. I don't know if you can hear it over the mic. Hopefully you can't, but I do have a light cold myself. And one of my kids finally went back to school today after some time off or feeling rough for a while. So that could also have an impact.
0: Watch our social media accounts or better yet, join our Discord at Discord.TabletopBellhop.com for up-to-date recording information.
1: We're here to answer your gaming and game night questions. So far in the month of October, I've had at least, I think it's more, four people come to me, um, digitally or in person, asking me for Halloween spooky game lists now first off that was people asking me what to bring to the barbershop bar event which is a local event we had last weekend and people were like what, what kind of game should i bring uh, you want halloween themed games another one though was um a, a local asking me for a game to pick up for their kid to play on halloween because they send them out as a younger kid and they go out like earlier like six o'clock and they're usually home by eight and they wanted something to play while the kids were eating candy and everything else um, after the family was trick-or-treating, uh, there was a thread on X, uh, formerly known as Twitter, looking for horror game recommendations. And then a really good conversation on Blue Sky about games that actually cause jump scares. And there were probably more. Well, we
0: have talked about horror and Halloween games in the past, that was over three years ago now. And sadly, quite yep. a few games we called out then aren't so easy to get now. Plus, there are some great new games that have come out since 2020 that we thought were worth highlighting.
1: Now, normally, I'd like give you a link to the podcast and tell you to go listen to it, but it was our fifth ever episode, and I'm kind of embarrassed by how that sounds. But if you do want to see it, the blog post is still up. That's, That's probably the best place you can go and get a list of games we recommended back in 2020. Now, one thing that's important about this, though, is everyone looks for something different from the Halloween season. Like, some people are all about horror and terror, and they... Binge horror movies and scaring themselves and they go to scare houses and everything. Other people, though, are just all about a, it's a chance to dress up and show off or try a new cosplay or wear a costume to school when I normally don't get to. That'd be my oldest daughter. Then there were people who like the cute side of Halloween and came up with that term spoopy, which for some reason annoys the heck out of me. And I don't know why. I just don't like the term spoopy. I guess I get off my porch moment there. So what we tried to do is, is because this applies to games as well, as people are looking for different things. They want light, silly games or they want to be scared. So what we tried to do is include a wide variety of games that would appeal to different people who like different parts of the spooky season. Now, as usual, this list
0: is in no particular order. First up, though, we have Shadows in the Forest. Now, this is a very niche game and it's generally for younger audiences. But I think that this can make for a great Halloween experience game. When played in an absolute pitch dark room, the game takes on a wonderfully ominous feel as the mysterious Shadowlings avoid the only light, an actual lantern game piece on the board. So I think this one is actually worth having to pull out and enjoy,
1: even if it's just once a year. And that was Shadows in the Forest. All right, the next one I have, we actually just reviewed last episode. Uh, That is The Pumpkin Problem, which is one of the holiday hijinks games from our friends at Karin Gamers Guild. Um, This one, I even said right in the review, I wish we hadn't played it ahead of time. Now, I played it ahead of time because I wanted all of you. And one of the reasons we're talking about tonight, so I can give you a chance to pick up your own copy so you can play it on Halloween. But man, I wish I had saved it. That is the game I would have played with my girls once they got back from trick or treating this year. Now, this is a great one hour escape room in a box style game. It's created with only 18 cards. It's got a nice low price point to match. Can you figure out what happened to the candy on Halloween night? Maybe you should play it before you go out and you don't get to go get candy until you've solved the case. Put that challenge to your kids. Well, that was
0: holiday hijinks number three, the pumpkin problem. Next up, we have Horrified. I've been a fan of this series since first playing it, and Mm -hmm. I love the fact that they keep coming out with new versions. Now, this is not only a great horror-themed series of games, but they're just fantastic cooperative games. Mm -hmm. Now, the the series started with the Universal Monsters. They then moved on to American Cryptids, and the latest release is Horrified Greek Myths, which we haven't gotten to try yet, but is high up on our wish list. The first two versions are probably more suitable for this
1: particular season. And that was the Horrified series of games. Now, looking back to our original time talking about this again, three years ago, I had King of Tokyo on our list. Well, back in 2020, it still belongs on the list. It's still available. But since then, they've actually completely relaunched the entire franchise with a new printing, with new art, some rebalanced cards and new expansions that didn't exist for the original. So what I actually want to recommend tonight is what's called the King of Tokyo Monster Box. This is a big box that includes the core game and all expansions and promos, including the important for tonight, Halloween expansion. This is a great, light, silly King of the Hill game about battling Kaijo. This, to me, is the game for those of us who turned into the Creature Double feature on Saturday, hoping for Isle of Monsters but not Pride of Frankenstein. And that was the new King of Tokyo
0: Monster Box. Next up, we have Psychobabble. What's more horrifying than feeling the oncoming madness from the inevitable arrival of the old gods? Perhaps not knowing if it's that, or if you really can't trust your own senses. In this social deduction game of psychiatrist and patients, players struggle to find out who's been spoken to by the old ones, and who is just having wild dreams. This one again this week proved it was a fantastic game mm-hmm. to play out in
1: public and, uh, you know, group. Yeah, this was a big hit at our personal Halloween game night, and that was Cycle Babble. Next, I have a another kind of light. I guess I went for the sillier games and I didn't even click in, but um, is Gloomy Graves. This is a kind of domino based card game where you're drafting cards with two different sides to them that you are going to place into your grave. What you are is a fantasy grave digger on the site of an epic fantasy battle, having to sort out and bury all the various bodies. It has a very cool drafting system, features a little personal grave that you have to do to kind of hold on to your cards, and then a ever-growing mass grave in the center of the table. Now, this one may be going out of print, and it is on sale, dirt cheap right now, direct from Renegade Games. I'm hoping Deanna is in the chat and can drop a link to that from Renegade Games. So you might want to scoop that up before it's gone. And that was Gloomy Grapes.
0: Now, I can see some people arguing that this next one isn't Halloween, and that is Alien, the role-playing game starter set. Now, while thematically, they may be correct, it's not Halloween, but if you're looking for jump scares in an RPG experience and want an all-in-one package, this is the one. Mm -hmm. this game is all about tension fear and monsters and the beginner box is just a no-brainer to get that concept to the table fast yeah the big draw here being that it's a complete game in one box you get the full cinematic rule set here the only reason you need to go out and buy the core rule book is if you want to dig into campaign play with your own characters
1: yeah, the, the, the Alien RPG starter set, like just by having that, you can also buy all the cinematic adventures they put out. And there are a number of them. And I still got to say uh, Alien is most definitely a horror movie, even if it's not set anywhere near Halloween. That was the Alien, the role playing game starter set. All right, here's one that was on the old list that I had to keep because it is one of my favorite creepy investigator investigating a haunted mansion. And that is Mansions of Madness. This is still going strong. There's a lot of fantasy flight games kind of fade over time. This one is still going just as strong. Uh, Specifically, we're looking at the second edition of the game. And this is so far, in my opinion, the best use of an app in a game I've ever seen. You just feed it what you have, the base game and any expansions, and it makes up a scenario using all of your stuff. The app does a fantastic job of creating unease and mystery as it lets you explore the mansions on your own without putting the board out ahead of time, right? You get that fog of war. Heck, when you start most scenarios in that game, you don't even know what you're supposed to do. All it is is welcome to the mansion. Now figure out what the heck's going on. I really adore the feeling of exploration, suspension, tension, I can't say tension. There it is. Tension that you get from Mansions of Madness, technically second edition. And that
0: was Mansions of Madness, second edition. Next up, we have a living card game set in Fantasy Flight's Arkham Universe. Arkham Horror, the card game, featuring the same characters from Mansions of Madness, Arkham Horror, Elder Sign, etc. Now, this was revised in 2021, and I know the fans out there talk a lot about how much money they have spent upgrading their components. But this one is a great game for a
1: couple or playing solo even if the game can accommodate up to four. That was Arkham Horror, the card game. One, I am so curious to try this. Anytime I talk about games for solo and two players, someone throws this one out there. Looks fantastic. All right, this next one, I also haven't personally played, but I wanted to call it out uh, because I've seen people have a fantastic time with this game, and that is Betrayal Legacy. When we first started hosting our barbershop bar game events, there was a group of six players that would show up they would get there two hours before the event started and stay two hours after it closed, just trying to get through Betrayal Legacy. This is the kind of game that's going to keep you busy for a long time. So what I would recommend, if we're looking for a Halloween game, is if you're in the middle of a campaign, make sure you schedule a game night on Halloween. But maybe start a new campaign on Halloween, or make sure you time it so the final game is played on Halloween. Now this one, from what I've heard and what I talking to the group that was playing it, seems to improve on Betrayal in many ways. And I've got to say overhearing parts of the story was fascinating, like uh, uh, everything I overheard just sounded cool. And I wanted to like, oh, what'd you do? What this? And I'm like, but I might buy it myself, so I don't want to spoil it. Now, if you aren't up for the full legacy experience and a game where you need the same group of players every week and everything else, there is a new third edition of Betrayal House on the Hill, the game this is based on. Now, that only came out last year, so we couldn't even call that out on our last list. Now, this edition fixes almost all of the haunt-based issues of the previous edition and is the best version of Betrayal so far, though there are some component quality complaints. The the card quality in the game is lacking. But if you're willing to overlook that, possibly laminating some stuff or sleeving some stuff, it is supposedly the best version of Betrayal at House on the Hill so far.
0: And that was Betrayal Legacy or the new version of Betrayal at House on the Hill. Now, next up, this one's already been brought up in our chat room, and that's Final Girl. If it's just you, why not scare yourself with Final Girl? You're playing a female protagonist, and you are the last one left with the slasher. It's either you or them. Now, this is a massive franchise from Van Ryder Games, and I'll admit it can be hard to know where to start. While there is a core box, that's not enough to play the game on its own, as you need at least one film to play. Mm -hmm. Or, if you're really ready to commit, try a series franchise box. Both 1 and 2 are out there already, with Series 3 on the way after yet another successful Kickstarter.
1: Now, the most amazing part about this one is, as we're talking about this, we do record the show live on Twitch. We have someone in the chat room going, I've been playing through Final Girl while watching the appropriately same-themed movies, because Final Girl is not licensed. So playing the movies they are based on at the same time, which I think is a great way to experience that game. That was Final Girl. Well, it's not for me. um, I have tried it a number of times. I don't own a copy, but I have watched a group of people playing Dead of Winter last Saturday at our Halloween game night. And because of the joy I saw them having and the arguments, but arguments all in good fun and everyone was still happy at the end of the game and the blaming of other people. And the groans and cheers when the dice were rolled means I had to put this on the list, even though it's not a game for me. This is a semi-cooperative zombie game. In general, it's a cooperative game, but every person has a personal goal. And what sometimes happens is people decide that personal goal is more important than the group. Now, this is also the first Crossroads game from Plaid Hat Games. And it uses a very neat which way system that involves voting, a lot of voting. Like, do you want to do this or this? And then people are like voting with thumbs up, thumbs down, and stuff like that. Now, personally, I don't like the hidden trader aspects that show up in this particular game. I mean, they're not in every game, they only show up sometimes, but I can't deny that the game tells a great story. And I can't deny how much fun that one table of gamers was having last Saturday. And that was Dead of Winter. Next up, we have the Zombicide
0: series. Now, after 11 years, this franchise is still going strong with so many options now, from Dawn of the Dead with its black and white art to Invader with its supernatural sci-fi theme. And now we even have Marvel zombies and things like a Monty Python hero set you can add to your games.
1: All right. That was the zombie side series. Uh, Personally, my favorites are Invader and Black Plague, but pick out the one of your choice. And from what I understand, they're semi-compatible. I kind of wanted to, like, take the Space Marines from Invader and fight Orcs and the uh, Fantasy one. But next, though, uh, those are that is our 13 main game recommendations, games that we think would be great on any spooky season, Halloween, horror-themed game night. Next, though, we do have some honorable mentions. Well, first up, we have Boop, Boop, but with Ghosts. Unfortunately,
0: they only had prototypes at Origins, so we didn't get to take this home. Besides cute new pieces featuring cats hugging pumpkins, there are also new ghost cats that move along the seams on the board and scare cats and kittens away from them. Really wish we could have picked this
1: up, but unfortunately was not to be. Uh, Next is the Night Cage. So on the weekend, I did a bunch of unboxings before our game event. I meant to play Unbox the Night Cage, and I just forgot in the pile I just didn't get to it. So it's going to have to stay in the honorable mentions. Uh, this game from Smirk and Dagger, you and up to three friends are lost in an oubliette. To get out, you each need to find a key, then meet together at the exit, which you also don't know where it is at the start of the game. Now, the thing in this game is, is it's a tile lay game. Think like Carcassonne or more so the old Dungeon Quest from Games Workshop, where your torch only eliminates, illuminates one tile away from you. So as you're moving, you remove the tiles you've already seen as you reveal new ones. Now, the trick, of course, is the oubliette changes. If you go backtrack, it may not be what you saw the first time. I am really looking forward to trying this one. I am hoping to have it out at our event on Saturday and be talking about the game soon. Now, maybe we can bump it up to be number 14 on our list. Well, next up, we have Body of Evidence, Best Served Cold.
0: Now, while murder mysteries can be enjoyed year round, I think tossing in the autopsy part of Best Served Cold fits particularly well for a Halloween game. Nerd yeah, night. The problem, unfortunately, is this is just Kickstarter, and while you can pre-order it, there's no way you're getting it in time for the 31st, at
1: least this year. Uh, next, Ghost Fight and Treasure Hunters. I could not not include this. This would be on our list. It'd probably be number one on the list because it's the first game I think of anytime I think of playing a Halloween game, especially when I think of trick-or-treaters and kids playing as well. But unfortunately, it seems to be out of print. Now, what I was going to add that wasn't on our original list, I was going to say play it with the expansion. The Creepy Cellar expansion does a lot to make the game more balanced and less less random, which to me is better for gamers. While kids don't necessarily mind losing all the time because of the vagaries of the dice, gamers like to feel like they have more control over the Destiny, and that's what this expansion adds, as well as some other cool new elements and stuff like that. But if you can't get it, none of that matters. Well, that was our list of games to haunt your Halloween game nights. Did we miss
0: any spooky games you or your family love? Do you have a game that you only break out for its scare potential? Let us know in the comments or on social media.
1: Hey, you can always email me at mo at tabletopbellhop.com. Hit us up on social media where we can be found everywhere as tabletopbellhop, one word, and that's pretty much everywhere. Or join our Discord at discord.com, sorry, discord.tabletopbellhop.com.
0: All right. Well, there's a lot of chat in the chat room today, so I did jump into lobby instead of straight into our coffee break because we got so many people in here talking about. Yeah,
1: we got to get these these recommendations from our awesome fans out there for uh, the rest of our podcast listeners who weren't able to join us live. So we uh, a bunch of complaints about Spoopy. Nobody seems to like Spoopy. No one wow. likes the word "spoopy." I, I, we have one good friend who loves spoopy and spoopy things. So there we go.
0: Uh, So yeah, Will Chamberlain says I've been playing Final Girl while watching the movies. Each set takes inspiration from.
1: There you go. Inspiration from. That's that's better wording. Than yeah. I have.
0: So far, they have played uh, the serial numbers filed off versions of Friday the Thirteenth and Nightmare on Elm Street, but haven't cool. come close to winning uh what else we've got here uh
1: he has uh they have
0: the entire first series and just picked up a couple from series two
1: nice so first series was good enough to uh reach go. out and try number two i i will admit i like live right now we have an opportunity to review these ourselves i haven't said yes yet i solo games aren't really my thing and i'm not a huge horror fan i was trying to decide if it'd be worth it because our fans would be curious uh right so i gotta Ryan. say I, I i know wilt Personally, and I agree with his game taste in most cases. So I got to say they're probably really solid games. Uh, Red Meeple Ryan says, I was wondering, I'm not the Scooby-Doo version of Betrayal. I have not played nor seen the Scooby-Doo version, so I can't recommend it either way. I will say one thing. There's no buzz on that game at all. No one talks about that game. So I, I don't know if it was terrible, if it was no one bought it. The only people bought it were Scooby-Doo fans, not board gamers who are on like board game geek and have podcasts. I couldn't, I can't recommend that one because I've never played it and I haven't even seen it recommended strongly.
0: Uh, Mage Gale is saying we got halfway through legacy and kind of weren't feeling it anymore. Uh, the new version of betrayal has some elements from legacy.
1: Oh, that's interesting to know. I heard this is the, the, the latest version of betrayal is the biggest diversions from the original and I've heard it's great, but like people really complain about the component quality. Like it's gotta be pretty bad. Uh, Red People Ryan, shout out for Camp Macabre from a local designer. Okay, cool enough. I don't know
0: that one, but we will toss a link in the show notes. Uh, And Major Gill is saying the spooky games in our collection are Arkham Horal, Betrayal, Betrayal, 3rd Edition, and Skeptics. The last is a co-op ghost hunting game where the ghost will show up, lock doors, and set fires. Okay,
1: that sounds cool
0: uh tech's daughters love betrayal mysterium zombie dice and hump the house from
1: ktbg yeah kids table board games that one looks good um betrayal everyone loves mysterium that was another one i just i think i played it with the wrong group i don't know that one never gripped me um i saw tech and one of his daughters playing zombie dice at our event so yeah that's a great one there we go uh
0: Um, major is saying not a fan of the dead of of dead of winter unless you remove the traitor the game is hard enough without one
1: fair enough uh, I would love and, to hear Will Chamberlain's uh, feel undead of winter because it was his copy that I played uh, originally, and at the time, I know he was a big fan. Uh, I wonder Mikhail if that again changed.
0: Saying uh, Mysterium is great as long as the ghost understands their
1: job running the game. Yeah, see, that's why I think I need to try it with another group. Fair enough.
0: Uh, Roger says, played Death Cthulhu. Death may die. It was a blast.
1: That was on our list. Five years ago, yeah, and you know what? Anyway, and
0: it wasn't. It was fun. It just didn't live up to some of the promise that we were expecting from it. Uh, The whole, the you know, the, the lack of legacy and, and things that it just didn't deliver some things we were hoping for in that game.
1: It felt like a series of miniature skirmish games, which is not what I wanted. I wanted a campaign. I wanted a, a, an evolving story.
0: Uh, Eggman Junior is pointing out something that I know is true: the patchwork Halloween is the most balanced in regards of tile costs of all the patchworks. I've heard uh, that. Yes, that's 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 a, a common. Well, I guess I don't know if it's factual or not, but that is pretty much a common belief. At least that the patchwork Halloween is the one to go to. Uh, we've played that on the on the BGA version, not
1: yep. not physical. And I did like it better than the original. I did find I was I, the games were closer. It was more enjoyable. Yeah. Uh,
0: Red Nipple Ryan calls
1: out Nyctophobia for a Halloween game. Totally Again, that's on our
0: list. Yep, yep, that was on our original list and on our
1: list three years ago. But good luck finding a copy now. Yeah, unfortunately, uh,
0: for, for Nyctophobia, you know, the, the closest you can get is is the shadows sort of thing, you know, with that dark experience. Although that's still not giving you the same yep. blind experience that you get from Nyctophobia. And,
1: and to be fair, Nyctophobia, my copy, got played on Saturday at our Halloween event, which was awesome. I got a great picture of everyone wearing the, the blackout shades, giving me the thumbs up. So. so, yeah, it was out. It got played. But again, I, I doubled to this time. What we wanted to make sure we did with tonight's topic was talk about stuff people could get now which is why i thought it was worth revisiting the topic in the first place because so much of what we recommended then isn't available now uh egman jr is a big fan of
0: third of betrayal uh he <laughs> even though he, he won the the two games they played uh and then uh tech's youngest daughter always seems to be great at being the ghost of mysterium awesome Yep. all right well thanks to everyone in there welcome to an overview and review of the new Castle Panic Big Box 2nd Edition from Fireside Games, who we have to thank for sending us a review copy of this updated Tower
1: Defense game. So the entire Castle Panic series is the brainchild of designer Justin DeWitt, who designed the base game and every expansion that's been released for it. This game has featured a number of artists over the years, with the new second edition featuring new, brighter, and more diverse artwork than the originals. All versions and editions of Castle Panic were
0: published by Fireside Games here in North America, with this new big box coming out just last year in 2022. Castle Panic is a cooperative board game for one to six players. While the base game is pretty light and simple, only taking an hour or so to play, each expansion ups both the weight and the playtime
1: of the game. So Castle Panic Big Box includes almost everything ever published. There's a few promos that are missing. This includes the new second edition of the base game, the Wizard's Tower, the Dark Titan Engines of War, and the brand new expansion Crowns and Quests. You also do get seven promo cards and six promo towers. Now all of this comes in a rather large box with a well-designed plastic
0: insert, which you can check out in our Castle Panic unboxing video on YouTube to be clear, this is the big box, not the more recent deluxe edition with all of its bells, whistles,
1: minis and bling. I got to say that one is pretty. I got to actually see and touch a copy at Origins. Man, is it nice? This is the step between this. This is uh, you got cardboard tokens instead of minis and upgrades on this one. That said, the component quality steer is excellent. There are a lot of counters and tokens and components. They're all well cut, nice and thick, and most importantly, very uniform. So you can't tell them apart by touching them which is important in this game now one thing i will say this is going to take you some time to punch but using the box top as a guide you'll end up with everything neat and organized all separated out by each individual expansion which makes it pretty easy to swap things in and out between games you also get a comprehensive rule book that includes
0: the rules for the base games and all of the expansions in one place as well as additional information on mixing, matching, and combining all of the stuff you get in this
1: big box. Now, due to the sheer amount of stuff in this box, I'm not even going to try to attempt to explain how to play the game or each of its expansions. Instead, what we're going to do is stick to a pretty high-level overview of play of how Castle Panic works, and then a summary of what each expansion adds to the base game. The core game of Castle Panic is a cooperative tower defense
0: game where players take on the role of heroes trying to defend their castle from what seems like unending waves of monsters. The castle has six towers surrounded by six walls located at the center of the board. Around it are four range rings, which are split into six arcs in three different colors. Now, monster tiles are randomly drawn from a bag and advance towards the castle each turn. Players will play cards to try and slow and defeat these monsters with the goal being to defeat every monster in the bag and on the board before
1: all of the castle towers fall. Now, basic gameplay involves coordinating and trading cards with the other players to play as many hit cards as you can into the proper range rings and colors, while also using special cards to do things like one shot kills or repair your walls and building fortifications. Now the monsters in the base game include goblins, orcs, and trolls, as well as a number of special tiles that go off when pulled. These do things like advance all the monsters in the red arc, or forcing players to discard all their archers, or having giant boulders roll across the battlefield, instantly taking out one of your walls or towers, but defeating any monsters that happen to be along the way. There are also four boss monsters you'll have to defeat
0: that are extra strong and or have additional effects, like the healer that heals all the monsters on the board, or the Goblin King that forces you to draw three additional monsters
1: after you draw him. Base game at Castle Panic is quick to set up, easy to learn, great for kids, families, and those looking for a casual game night. Next, we have the
0: Wizard's Tower. This adds quite a bit to the base game a bunch of new monsters, six mega bosses, a Wizard's Tower, new castle cards, and an entirely new deck
1: featuring Wizard cards. Now, the Wizard's Tower replaces one of your six starting towers. If this tower is destroyed during play, you can't draw wizard cards anymore. Now, when discarding a card to draw, you can now draw wizard cards instead of castle cards. These cards are huge. They have very powerful effects, like hitting everything in one ring, or repairing walls cheaper, or pushing all the enemies back to the forest. You're going to need these spells to help deal
0: with the new mega boss monsters. You're going to have to defeat three of these drawn randomly,
1: each of which has high health and special rules for how they act on each turn. Now, this expansion also includes rules for flying monsters, for lighting things on fire, and new castle cards that let you change the range and colors of other cards. Overall, the Wizard's Tower adds a significant amount of player options and strategies to Castle Panic, but it also increases the playtime quite a bit. Now, I personally strongly recommend using this expansion if your group is a bunch of experienced gamers. The Dark Titan
0: is a somewhat smaller expansion that adds one big feature to the game. A very hard-to-defeat main villain that will show up at some point during the game. His name is Argronok, and you get six levels of difficulty to choose from when including him in your game. Before he appears, you first have to draw three heralds, which have their own nasty effects. Egnarok is the toughest thing you will ever face in a Castle Panic game, and will take coordinated effect. Uh, it will take a coordinated effort
1: to take out. Now to help you out, this expansion also includes the Cavalier and new support tokens. Cavalier enters play through a castle card and is an independent character that you can move around and do some of the fighting for you. And the support tokens I thought were really cool because they show up like monsters, but they're on your side and they give you a bonus if they reach the castle. Other new additions
0: include rules for banishing cards from the game, a new mega box mo- boss monster, the Dark Sorcerers, new Elite Monsters, new standard monsters, and some new castle cards.
1: Now, adding Agnorok really changes the feel of the middle part of Castle Panic. It also adds some complexity and game length, but not nearly the amount we got from the Wizard's Tower. This expansion to me is great for mixing things up a bit and adding some replayability to Castle Panic so it's not the same fighting orcs, Goblins, and Trolls over and over. Now,
0: if you want more of a Euro feel with some resource management in your games of Castle Panic, uh, Engines of War is for you. This expansion has a ton of new stuff. You get a keep that you put at the center of your castle. Now, on this keep, you can build a catapult and a ballista. You also get spring traps, pits, and barricades, an engineer and task tile track, uh, or an engineer and task tile track what you're currently building. And there's a new deck of resource cards filled with the stuff you will need to build
1: these new defenses. Now, of course, it's not just the players who get new toys. Engines of War also includes 13 new monster tokens, which include three enemy siege engines, the siege tower, the war wagon, and the battering ram. Each of these comes onto the board loaded with a pack of orcs when drawn. Of all the Castle Panic expansions, this one adds the most new rules and player options to the game. This one kind of feels to me like the designer heard a bunch of hobby gamers and podcasters saying, ah, this game's too light for me, it's too easy. So we made an expansion just for them, or maybe I should say us. Um, We found using this expansion significantly increased the playtime, especially if you combine it with Wizard's Tower. Next, we have Crowns and Quests. This is the first all-new expansion released
0: with the second edition of Castle Panic. Now, while it does come in the big box, you can also pick it up separately. This expansion really changes Castle Panic to be almost a totally new game, though it can also be used to add some asymmetry to the base game and its expansions.
1: Yeah, that's through the crowns part of this expansion. What that gives you is 12 character cards that you're going to shuffle up and divide out between the players at the start of the game. Everyone's going to get two cards and pick one to play. Now, those each have their own unique ability, and these are big. These are like shoot in a different arc or reroll dice and things like that. They're rather powerful abilities. Now, the thing is, you do have to pick one of the six towers that your character lives in. And if that tower is destroyed, the character will move to another empty tower. If there aren't any empty towers, that character is lost, and you won't be able to use their abilities anymore. Then there's the quests part. When
0: using this expansion, instead of having to destroy all of the monsters on the board and in the bag in order to win your game of Castle Panic, you instead have to complete two quests. One of 11
1: standard quests, and then one of 7 endgame quests. Now, each of these quests contains full rules on how to use and play them. These replace the core game rules in some ways. This includes changes to setup, what monsters you're going to put in the bag, the victory conditions, and more. For example, one standard quest we had, we started the game with six ogres, one in each of the arcs surrounding the castle. But you didn't draw any other monsters, just those ogres you had to deal with. And trust me, that's not easy. Another, though, had magical stones that started in the forest but were slowly moving in. And the monsters would spawn from them instead of the normal spawn points, which I thought was really neat. Final quests all require a lot of cooperation. They tend to require players to discard
0: cards to do things. One final quest we completed had us deploying troops to a set of caves the monsters were coming from, while another had us trying to build six outposts at the edge of the kingdom.
1: Now to go with all these new quests, both types of quests, crowns and quests, comes with a ton of tokens. New cards, special boards, new sheets, and more. There are more small bits and tokens in this expansion than all the others combined. That said, the rules for each individual quest is pretty simple. The new abilities on the characters are clear and easy to understand. And except for the bit of having to sort through all the tokens to find the right tokens at the start of each quest, this is probably the easiest expansion to actually add to Castle Panic. It's almost a reversal on the previous expansions where it changes up the basic gameplay, but keeps the game back to that lighter, sillier, family-friendly feel of the base game. In addition to these expansions, you also get a set of promo towers that you can swap out for your regular towers and some new cards you can toss into your castle deck. So my experience with Castle Panic has been quite the journey. My first game was so long ago, I don't even remember when it was. It might have been at Huguen and Munin. I remember my impression of the game being... Pretty positive, but feeling I don't need this. I remember it being lighter than what I usually like in a game and extremely random. I felt that luck played as much of a role as our decisions did, so I never picked it up. Now, over the years, I know this game's been very popular, and I've heard many people talk about the various expansions and podcasts, uh, talking about them, and, and the Dice Tower and whatever, talking about how... All the expansions are finally adding more decision space for the players. There's reduced luck or, in general, just made the game more appealing to hobby gamers. Well, here we are now, several years later, with a new version of Castle Panic, a new second edition, but also a new big box with everything in it. And the big thing that sold me on this and why I agreed to review it was when I learned that Cat Quests, Crowns and Quests included asymmetry, one of my favorite mechanics. Now, this
0: one was my first experience with the game ever. And had it just been the base game, it probably would have been my last. It wasn't that it was a bad game, but it was almost purely random. You never felt like you had any real effect on the outcome of the game.
1: Yeah, as long as you played well. Like, yes, you could play badly and lose, but like playing well did not seem to lead to the fact that you would win. So... Now we have the shiny new version, right? And and I gave it a good shot. I, I played the game and each of its expansions multiple times. I tried to get the full experience here. I even managed to get this one to the table with a few different groups of players to see how different people reacted to it and how changing the group would affect it. In the end, some of my original feelings remain, but I did find some highlights along the way.
0: So why don't we work through the path you took through this game and
1: how it evolved? All right, well, starting with the base game, it's still what I remember. I I do greatly appreciate the new, more inclusive, higher action, higher contrast artwork. It's definitely easier to tell what things are from across the board. That part's fantastic. I also like the inclusion of more variants to adjust the difficulty and a slightly clearer rulebook than the original. The gameplay, though, still feels far too random to me. Too often, you feel like you lost the game due to a bad pull or card draw, not because of anything you did wrong. On the opposite end, sometimes it's just too easy, and you feel like you won despite not even playing very well. And it was wrote like pre-scripted. Well, of course, I'm going to play this, then this, then this. Now, this did get better with more players. We found five to be the sweet spot, to be honest. Um, Once you get to six players, you get less cards. I found five to be the best. Now, I don't have a lot of interest in playing Castle Panic with just the base game rules again. Now, yeah, if someone shows up and is like, let's play some Castle Panic, I'll do it. And I still think this has a place uh, for a great family game night or the right beer and pretzels game night where you don't want to take things too seriously. Now, I'm not even sure I'd call the base game a great family game because
0: the win loss ratio is one that could frustrate many families. But beer and pretzels, definitely.
1: Now, moving on to the Wizards Tower, I became much more impressed with the game. Here was some of the meat I felt was missing from the original. Having more choices each turn and having more cards that interacted with other players gave me that feeling of control I felt was missing from the original. Well, the game is still highly random and you can still lose due to a series of bad rolls, pulls, or draws, that now feels like a feature of the game, like the random factor, like sometimes you just had a bad day. The new monsters added also added a lot more variety to the game and just made it more interesting. It wasn't the same three monsters just constantly coming in and getting closer. All of that, though, came at the expense of time. Once you toss in the Wizard's Tower, you're not looking at a quick one-hour filler game anymore. That changes the audience for the game. For me and the people I play with, this is the one expansion I basically won't play without. To me, playing a game of Castle Panic means playing Castle Panic with Wizard's Tower.
0: Yeah, it wasn't until we added this expansion that I really found much fun in the game. Uh, Even when we won the base game,
1: it was still mostly luck. Now, the Dark Titan, eh, whatever. I, I can take or leave it. Um, I love the support tokens. I, I really like the feeling of pulling something positive from the monster bag. You're expecting something horrible and like, oh, yay, it supplies. I actually like that. And the rules for moving them was pretty cool. And I loved some of the new enemy tiles, some of the, the way the new monsters moved in. But the whole Agronok thing, I don't know. It was OK, but it just. It almost felt like a little weird mini game that you had to play in the middle of the game. Now, I do like the mechanic with the Heralds, the way that, like, you got to have three so Agronoc doesn't show up in the middle of the game. And I'd like some of the new monsters. And I do dig that there's six difficulties. That is nice. Like, uh, the, that is a huge scaler. And it ends up, I guess, the sixth level is actually a promo that's in this set. Or you could have got the promo card. So it's cool. They give you all six levels. But I don't know. When Whenever, like, now that we've reviewed the game and played it multiple times and I'm setting up to play Capital Panic. I'm never like, oh, throw in the Dark Titan. That'll be fun. And I also found that once you combine Dark Titan with Wizard's Tower, it just gets to be a bit too much. There's just too many. Like every monster you pull is something special. And we got to like look at the reference card to figure out what it does this time. It just goes a little too far away from the original. While myself and probably many gamers want more game
0: in their Castle Panic, you don't want to go full Twilight Imperium with it either. (laughs) You need to find
1: a balance. And this one seems to have gone too far in the other direction. Yeah, when combined. On its own, it's not too bad. It's it's one of the easier ones to add in. But once you throw it in with the other expansion, it's just like something else to worry about. Then we get to Engine of War, which which I totally thought was going to be the same thing. I I thought at this point, I'm like, all right. I, like I thought Dark Titan added too much, and now I'm going to throw in resource management. Come on. I was really getting the feeling that these expansions were just going to start to make the game feel bloated. And I was shocked because we put out Engines of War. And yes, there was new stuff, but it didn't feel bloated. Uh, This one surprised me the most because it had a lot of new things and a lot of things to consider and new parts to put out on the board and a whole new system for building things. But it all just kind of fit like it just felt like it belonged there. Everything just flowed really well with Castle Panic. Now, as someone who digs heavier resource management games... I did, of course, like the literal engine building. You're building catapults and traps that you're putting on the board and all this stuff, using resources. And um, while there's no sheep for wood, we were definitely trading brick for rope. I did enjoy that. I also like the tension the enemy siege engines added, especially as they start getting closer to your castle. They do some really nasty things. Now, that said, this one is probably one too much, one bit too much, one too many expansions. For your average family game night or, again, your beer and pretzels night, if you want to sit back and laugh and have fun and laugh about the fact that, that, that you're getting totally swarmed in Zone 4, you probably want to leave Engines of War in the box. The additional stuff to keep track of, more tokens, more possible combos, this requires more focus. You're now playing a game where everyone has to pay a lot more attention, which removes it from that beer and pretzel feel. In other words... A gamer's game, finally. Now that leaves Crowns and Quests, which they advertise is going to really change up your game, and it does. At this point in our progress through Castle Panic, adding new expansions, one after another, and trying different combinations. And I just, anymore, I'm like, is it even Castle Panic anymore? Like, it's just the tone and feel had changed so much. Like, for better or worse, some people are going to like all that changes, and other people are probably not. They're going to be like, it's too far away from the quick, fun game I like. Well, playing Crowns and Quests felt like a trip back to the beginning. Like we'd gone full circle, but on that journey, we learned something because we'd gone from a family friendly, quick light game to a longer, more focused, more player skill based experience. But when we got back, it was better than where we started. Now, some might argue you couldn't not improve it. So how (laughs) did it improve it? Sean's negative. A lot of people love this game. It wasn't for us, but a lot of people do love this game. Now, while Crowns and Quest does return to the shorter, more frantic gameplay of Base Castle Panic, what it added in was more player agency. There's just more cooperation than ever required, especially with those final quests where multiple people are going to have to contribute things to finish them. The scenarios are designed to remove some of the randomness of the base game, and they all seem very beatable, though not in any way easy. They also add a ridiculous amount of replayability to the game because you've got, what is it, 11 and 7? I don't even know how many possible combos that are, and that's without looking at, like, the draw of the cards or the pulls from the bag. No two games should ever even feel similar, let alone the same. If you Even if you played every possible combination of quests, you're going to have a new experience every time. Well, there you go. It seems like they took the long
0: way around but finally found their way back to the game they started with while turning it into a game Might have been there. The game, it might have should have been original.
1: I think it took the years to develop after this one. I think that's the one thing that with this game, I'm like, I'm sure they would have wished they could have come up with crowns and quests right at the beginning. Now, one thing that hasn't come up yet that I do think needs to be noted for anyone listening to this review is that you can freely mix and match these expansions, especially the first three. Now, crowns and quests specifically notes in the rule book that it should only be combined with one other expansion, but you can mix them all together how you want. When doing this though, you're gonna have to spend a lot of time setting things up, and we know that's a hindrance to getting games to the table. There are two pages of charts, letting you know things like what monster tokens to include in every possible expansion combination, what starting hand limit it is, number of cards you deal out to the players, the type of card, number of cards you can pass with each others, which monsters stout are on the board, and more. Now, while the box insert is good for keeping everything separated, it can be a real pain to split everything up at the end of the game, especially when you're at the end of game night and everyone just kind of wants to go home when you're done. Now, what I suggest, though, is if you can get the focus and time to do it, is put away the game set up for whatever expansion you plan to play next. Just leave the monsters for that particular setup in the bag and sort the rest of the stuff appropriately. Because after playing everything in this big box, a variety of combinations, I leave mine set up so it's the base game with Wizard's Tower ready to go. Then when we sit down to play, we decide, like, if we're going to play crowns and quests, you can just go from there. Grab the, shuffle up your quests, grab them, and see what you need to change up. Or maybe we toss in one or more of the expansions, which will mean dumping the monster bag and doing some substitutions. Now, what I haven't personally done is try crowns and quests with all three of the other expansions. We never put all four together. So if you've done so, I would love to hear your experience mixing everything together.
0: As mentioned earlier, they don't actually recommend that which is why we're not reviewing that combination here.
1: Overall, this is a fantastic box for Castle Panic fans. Well worth picking up if you played and enjoyed Castle Panic, but don't own it yourself. Maybe you played it at a con or a friend's copier during a public play event. This is a great way to get everything in one box. Well, it may be expensive. You do get a lot of game here to make up for that cost. And compared to the new deluxe editions that recently released, this is practically a bargain.
0: You're getting all the same game just with cardboard instead of fancy bits.
1: Now, this, now is a- this is also a great way for someone who has some or part of the first edition of Castle Panic to upgrade. Donate that old copy to a school, use center or library and pick this up. You get more clear graphics, better quality cards, a slightly clearer rulebook, condensed rulebook with everything all in one place, at least one new to play expansion with crowns and quests. You're also getting everything game-wise,
0: all the promos, all of it. No need to go hunting for this card or that tower.
1: Now, due to the price of this box, I would never recommend anyone picking this up unless you already know you like Castle Panic or Castle Panic with the expansions. This is not a whim. Go buy it on a whim just to give it a shot. game. <laughs> um, I encourage you, though, to find someone else who has a copy and sit down and play a few games. Try the base game, but don't stop there. Don't make the mistake I did and dismiss it after just playing the the silly light version. Also, make sure you try an expansion or two. You may be like me and find more to love the more you add to the game. Well, that's it for our look at the second edition of the Castle Panic Big Box,
0: a game that set us on quite the journey as we slowly added more content and expansions to the game. While we didn't love the original, the journey exploring all of the content was fun, and in the end, we were able to find a combination that's perfect for us.
1: Now, for all the Castle Panic fans out there, I want to know what's your perfect mix of expansions. Are you still happy to play the base game with all its rapid fire franticness and quick setup and takedown? Let us know in the comments, or better yet, join us over at discord.tabletopbellhop.com and share your thoughts there. Thank you for joining us for a look at the Cryptex
0: from German puzzle maker Escape Welt, who we have to thank for sending Mo a review copy of this gift box.
1: Now, we are Escape World Affiliates, and we also have to thank them for our exclusive discount code, Bellhop, B-E-L-L-H-O-P, that gives you 10% off anything in their store. Yes, this is the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, and yes, you got me. This isn't really a game or really much of a puzzle, but it is something rather geeky and very cool that comes from a publisher that does produce some very cool wooden escape boxes that we've greatly enjoyed playing around with. Check out our reviews
0: of the Quest Pyramid, the House of Dragons, the Fort Knox Box, the Space Box, the Quest Tower, and most build of the Orbital Box to really see why we're talking about the Cryptex today.
1: Like Seriously, I have totally fallen in love with Escape World's puzzles. They, they're just way too cool, way too much to fiddle with. They're like littered around my house now. Now, that's not what we're looking at here, right? The Cryptex from Escape Waltz is, well, a Cryptex, right? It's It's a puzzle box meant to be given as a gift. It's made out of laser cut etched birchwood. comes fully assembled, though actually after building the orbital box, I wouldn't be surprised if eventually they put out a build your own cryptex thing. But for now, there's the fully assembled version. Now, this coded gift
0: box features six spinners, each of which shows all 26 letters of the alphabet. It comes preset to a specific code and also lets you change it to any six letter combination
1: you want once you've gotten it open. Now, as you can see in our Cryptex unboxing video on YouTube, you also get a small pamphlet showing off other stuff in this Quip it's line, an instruction book, which includes a link where you can find out how to open the Cryptex without solving it, and a detailed step-by-step instructions on how to change their code, as well as two gift tags. One gift tag includes the riddle for the preset keyword, and they give you a blank one, so if you change the code, you can include it with your gift. Now, the physical gift box itself is seven inches
0: long and about three and a half inches wide and is extremely solid. The Mm. wheels
1: spin easily, not being too tight or too loose. Yeah, this is a chunky piece of wooden engineering that I've got to say is just a joy to hold and fiddle with. Now, one thing I don't love is the font. It's, It's honestly kind of terrible, but at least you have the full alphabet there on every wheel. So you can tell the apple is actually a D. Because it follows C and it's before the other C. Oh, wait, that's not a C, that's an E.
0: One small issue, despite what Mo mentioned in the unboxing about clicking, is that you need to have these letters lined up just right for the key to
1: slide out easily.
0: You can have the right answer and think it's wrong, because one or more letters just aren't lined up perfectly.
1: Now, the next concern I have is the, the biggest concern I have, really, is the small gift portion, the gift box portion, the inside. So the diameter of the Cryptex is three inches, the actual hole in the box that you have to put stuff in is only one and a quarter inch by one and a quarter inch by three inches deep. Now, the three inches deep is nice, but one and a quarter inch and one and a quarter inch doesn't give you a lot of room. Now, this may be great for jewelry or maybe some folded up cash you're not going to fit a gift card in there. Now, I think what you might want to do with this one is maybe purchase something larger and put the receipt or some other clue for something much bigger that's not in the actual gift.
0: Oh, and when you first get the Cryptex open, that space is filled with the stand for it, which works great mm-hmm. for putting this rather cool-looking object on display, either horizontally or vertically.
1: Now, as for getting the Cryptex open the first time, that's it's really simple. Um, the included gift tag gives you a riddle, I was able to get it on the third try, whereas Diana got it on the first try. Uh, This is like less than a minute for her to open it up. I think I took about three. I don't think many people are going to be stuck for long. It's a pretty typical riddle. Um, And if you are, you can easily find the answer online um, through just a search, or you can use the QR code that's included in the rules. To be fair, this product isn't about solving the puzzle.
0: It's about giving you a cool gift box that you get to set the code to yourself.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, you get what you'd expect. It's called the cryptex. You get a cryptex that gives you space to put stuff in. Now,
0: setting a new code word is a bit fiddly, but not hard. It involves opening the thing up, inserting the key upside down, and pulling the rings away from the mechanism. You then set your desired letter on each wheel, lock it back into place, removing the key, and reassembling it all when done. The instructions on how to do this were very clear, and there's a video to help you with that as well.
1: So overall, I thought the Cryptex from Escape Well, was pretty cool. Um, I personally plan on saving mine for Christmas morning, uh, probably tossing a Nintendo Switch game in there and setting an appropriate keyword for my girls to uh, get stressed out over on Christmas morning. If you're looking
0: for a cool, geeky way to give a small gift, something you can personalize with your own code word, this is a pretty cool choice. Just be aware of how small the inside dimensions really
1: are. Plus, remember, if you do decide to pick one of these up, use our code bellhop to save 10%. Well, that's it for our look at the Cryptex from Escape Welt. Sure, it's not a game, but you have to admit this is a pretty cool way to give someone a gift. Now, before we go, I just want to invite you to sign up for the uh, tabletop bellhop newsletter. So each week, or at least I try to make it each week, um, well, let's just say it at most once a week, I send out an update letting everyone know what content we put out recently. It includes links to our latest articles, videos, our latest podcast, and every now and then a heads up on some great tabletop gaming deals. To do this, just head over to the blog tabletopbellhop.com. If you haven't been there before or haven't been in a while, there'll be a pop-up that shows up pretty shortly after you're there. If you have been there recently, I appreciate it. There will be a spot to put your email address in the sidebar. And now in the Bellhops tabletop, we look back at the games we played
0: since the last episode.
1: So with everything going on, with the kids being sick, the sales, etc., we haven't got much gaming in. But thankfully, there was a barbershop bar gaming event last Saturday, which offered a nice reprieve. So this was all about card games. Lots of card games. So many card games to the point where I had to ask Bo to stop, because while we're more or
0: less used to mixing it up as as reviewers, certain trick takers should not be played one after another for your average gamers without causing mass confusion.
1: Fair enough, fair enough. So our first game of the night was the game, uh, which really was just something to kill time waiting for our Coney dogs to show up. I played four players, got the partial win where you empty the deck, but you didn't get to play all the cards from your hands. I dig this game. I, I have enjoyed the game since the first time I played it. Um, to be fair, like there was a gap there where I was like, eh, and then I got back into it and then fell in love. Um, this was good. It, it's always good. What uh, What I was impressed by was there were two players who hadn't played it before that actually seemed to be really impressed by it it's just a solid, easy to play game that doesn't require too much thinking. And since there's no table talk allowed,
0: you can have those great social interactions instead. It's really perfect for that sort of beginning of the night game.
1: Uh, next up was um, probably more rounds than I would have played of Psycho Babble. Uh, we had a total of six players. Uh, I started off doing the whole, I'm going to play the psychoanalyst and teach the game, which I got to say works great. That is one of the props to that game is, well, the psychoanalyst is a player. They do kind of act as moderator, and what a great way to teach the game is to just have someone who knows the game best take on that role. Uh, With six players, we each took a turn playing the therapist, and the game went over really well. Um, What was fascinating to me about this particular series of games is that, wow, were the players ever being super vague about their dreams? And I think it was just the tone was set by the first person to describe a dream, and it kind of went from there. Which was um, very much a counterpoint to what I actually said during the review. Where it seems like once you get to five and six players, it becomes far too easy for the psychoanalyst to find the proper dream because everyone's describing the same thing. That was definitely not the case um, during our game on Saturday night. We actually had a really good mix of which side won and all three sides won. We actually saw signs when the, the therapist won. We saw games where the, the um, inmates won and we saw, was it one or two? I can't remember now, but a, a game where the insane person won, which that one definitely doesn't happen often. It was a really nice mix of
0: gamers playing this as well. And there was some amusing interactions and comedic moments, including myself, assuming that I was the insane one, because I actually forgot which card I was supposed
1: to be looking at. Yeah, that does happen. But now what I liked about that, and you actually called it out at the time, is that didn't break the game. Yes, for one round, you were basically out as far as like being the winner or on the winning side, but it didn't ruin the round for everyone else. So unlike other hidden trader games, like say Battlestar Galactica, um it didn't matter that much like the rounds are short you're not affecting anyone else's game we weren't six hours into a game only to find out that someone's messed up since the first round
0: indeed it was simply amusing something to laugh about and didn't detract from anyone's experience possibly even enhancing it because we all got that extra laugh uh, yep. from the round
1: uh next up was a couple rounds of the deadlies which again is a hit i I man kurt you were so right um one thing to call out I'm still not sure why there are special rules for six players. Uh, To be fair, we didn't realize there were and had played six players with the standard rules before. So this time, aware of what they were, we um, we played with the the proper rules, which once you have six players, you're only supposed to have four wickedness and four cards in your starting hand. And the round we did that over was just over too quick. We played a second game with a regular hand of six, and I found that went much better. So I'm a bit torn on this one
0: because it did feel a little long when we were playing with the unmodified way, yeah. but I agree that it felt too short playing with the special rules. Uh, and it, it seems to be missing the right length for six players. um The game really is all about one card, though. Once the halo is picked up, nothing else matters, or at least should matter, if everyone doesn't forget that one person yeah. picked up the halo. <laughs>
1: See, to me, this was the game where it didn't matter as much and people were just like, I don't care who's got the, yeah, you get to void your hand, but I'm worried about voiding mine, which I thought was refreshing because most other games I played, it was like, oh, the Halo's out, everyone's got to pay attention to who has the Halo. This was also a game where people kept forgetting where it was because it got passed around so much, which to me, again, was a good sign. I'm like, good, that played better than what we didn't have was the table talk. Usually when I'm playing with people, I don't know, I think it's the Canadian, everyone's friendly thing. They like to remind the other players where things are. And that didn't really happen. We were all doing our own thing. And I actually like that aspect. Uh, We wrapped up the night with a game of Tome, the light edition. Um, In particular, though, cracking open the gold codex, which is a separate expansion, which I got to say was a mistake. Lesson learned when teaching this game, stick to the five suits in the original core box. Excuse me. Stick to the five suits in the original core box the expansion actually has three new suits and they're just that step up in complexity that's best left for once people know the game
0: So with the base game i can say i actively enjoyed playing four players with the expansion combined with the small text and poor lighting at that event it was a much less enjoyable experience even though i already know
1: the game Um,
0: now there were a lot of confounding factors though so I'll give the suits another chance, but it wasn't a great introduction to them.
1: No, I think it wasn't at all. Um, though I will say, like by the end of the game, it, everyone was enjoying it. So what stuck out to me the most was one of the players we were playing with. I'm not going to name names here, but they don't generally like overly complicated games. Now they're not in like super light. We got to play silly, fluffy games, but they don't like a lot of complexity and and variables. And when I first dealt the cards and he picked up his hand of cards, he had that oh no. Mo was trying to get me to play another overly complicated, too many rules fiddly game look. And yes, I fully admit, when you get your hand of cards the first time you play Tome, it will feel very overwhelming. But the thing was, by the end of the full game, we played a, a full game to 15 points. And by the end of it, he was smiling. And I got to say, he obviously got the game because his team kicked our butts. And he did note that he'd like to try it again, but with other suits. So I do think. This game is easier to learn than it looks at first. Like, I almost want to tell people ignore all the suits you can't play, but then that first hand, someone will break the chain and you got to read them all anyway.
0: It's not hard, but there is a learning curve, although less so than Aurum, I think, uh, since learning what the cards do is really the big hurdle, but it's right there on the card in front of you. Yeah. Whereas Aurum uh, is actively breaking ingrained habits for trick taking games, and that's a little bit harder True. to overcome.
1: Now, the other thing I'm just going to reiterate, we've already said it quite a bit. I'm pretty sure this is going to be the main point of our review is, man, it's so much better with four. (laughs) It's just team-based four player. There should be nothing else in that rulebook telling you to play any other way.
0: Well, so that's it for what we've been playing. Um, What about what you're playing next? Uh, Any cool plans for the coming week?
1: Well, um, the big thing is I got in six unboxings on the weekend. So we do have new stuff to start playing and prep for future rules. We're actually at the point where like, We played everything that was already open from Origins. We needed new stuff. Um, Heck, the Cryptex. I did the unboxing and put it live. Sean put it live on. Well, Sean published it. Uh, Sean edited it, and I published the unboxing today. So that one's already up and done. So scratch that one off the list. We don't don't get games usually done that quick. Uh, But the other ones I did unbox is Starship Captains. Oh, does that look good? Um, Man, it looks good. Uh, Marrakesh, I'm Intimidated. I like big, heavy games, but we don't play them often. I think the last big, heavy game we played was Weather Machine, and that was like six months ago. So that, that one's scaring me. Um, Astra, which we, Deanna wants to learn because she wants to be able to teach it at our next gaming event at everybody's place. Uh, bah Humbug and the 12 Games of Christmas I unboxed. And I want to do that because I'd like to review it before, you know, we get to Christmas. Um, I did open up both copies of Mind Your Business. That is one of the things I want to bring. To um the everybody's place because it seems like a nice lighter inviting game. And the last one is the Artemis project. And I've got to say, out of the ones I unboxed, just from what I saw from the boxes and the little bit of research I did beforehand, so I don't call the first player marker the end of game token or something. Um that looked the best. Artemis project looks solid. So I am really hyped right now. Like right now, I'm like, um, can I get a gaming night tomorrow night. Can we get a bunch of people over? Can we play some of these? Um, what I want to know though is and I want to hear this from our viewers. Which of those do you most want to hear us review next? No promises. Um, but let us know and maybe we can kind of put them in a, a order based on what our fans wanna hear. Because I'm excited for all of them. There, there's Artemis Project's the one that looks the best, but it doesn't have to be the first one I play. I'm sure Sean's probably voting for Starship Captain. So
0: well, you know what I've—I've I've heard in our chat room since we got back from Origins, the Artemis Project has been mentioned more than once. Yep, throughout the have. episode since then. So there's yep. a good chance that that might be the one that that folks yeah, are really interested Yeah, we've already in. got a
1: vote in the in our chat room for the Artemis Project. So yeah,
0: there we go. So that just means we need to find time to play them.
1: Yeah, uh, that is, of course, the problem.
0: Before we start locking things down, let's take a moment to thank a selection of our tabletop hot Patreon patrons. Their support helps keep this show going. Sean P. Kelly.
1: Thank you, Sean. Derek Hisson. Thanks, Derek. Andrew Daisy. Thank you. The misdirected merc Podcast. Thank you. Donna, who we actually didn't see tonight. I hope things are good with you, Pax. Thank you, Pax. Well, that was the double bell. That means our shift's coming to an end. The monsters are heading toward the gates, so it's time to shut down and drop the port
0: Though the doors are closed, you can always find us at TabletopBellhop.com, all over the web as Tabletop Bellhop, one word, and on your podcatcher of choice as the Tabletop Bellhop
1: Gaming Podcast. I would try to point you to the Discord, but we've done that about four times already tonight. So instead, let's talk about how you could tip the bellhop. Head over to Patreon.com slash Tabletop Bellhop and help support the show. Your name will get called out on the show every few episodes. You'll get a behind-the-scenes blog post. You get some bonus audio, usually about an hour of it, where you get to hear the stuff that you miss by not joining us live on Twitch. There are some other cool bonuses as well. So again, Tabletop or Patreon.com slash Tabletop Bellhop. Well, that's all for us tonight. If you enjoy our
0: content, leave a review, a comment, or a like wherever you find it. Drop yeah. by YouTube and try a totally free subscription. For the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, I'm Sean. And I'm Mo. Thank you. And Game, game on. on. Find full reviews, show notes, and more at tabletopbellhop.com. Graphic design by Brian Weiss at RPG Co. Music is Nimbus by Eveningland. The podcast is released under a Creative Commons attribution license.